15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right on KPFT. I thank you so kindly for being here with us. We have some special guests that you're going to love today. Rosalind Wyatt. She is a researcher and a strategist here in Houston, Texas. She's here to talk to us about voter suppression. There is a new law, HB 1026, being placed by a conservative Republican uh, representative here in Texas. They're attempting to really strip a lot of uh, strip a lot of abilities we have to register people. We cannot let that stand. You have to make your voices heard. You got to call your state congressperson and let them know absolutely not. We want to keep things the way they are. Actually, we want to make things better to make people more able to support democracy. Our second guest is Atiba Majian political analyst and author out of Washington, D.C. We're going to discuss the insurrection and a lot more. Uh, we also are going to talk about, uh, uh, there's a little clip that I have from a piece that Katie uh, Turd did, talking about how did the GOP become a cult? And yes, the GOP is in fact a cult. And we also talk, uh, get a little clip from uh, Anan Hirid Haradas, who this. Uh, talked about that unpatriotic, seditious insurrection that we saw on January 6th in Washington, D.C. was nothing more than the funeral of white supremacy. Maybe a long funeral still to go, but that is what it's all about, folks. And he makes a very good argument, so we're going to check that out. But folks, please remember to call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Contribute to, uh, to Politics Done Right for KPFT. In other words, contribute to KPFT in the name of Politics Done Right. You can also do that at kpft.org. Again, that is kpft.org. So, folks, you know what? Let's get busy with the show. It is a false equivalence to assume that the reason why we cannot get compromise in Washington is because neither side wants to compromise. That's not true. The reality is we got a Republican Party that became a cult. And this isn't some left-wing progressive saying this. This is even said by people who are fairly moderate, fairly conservative. I want you to listen to this, and then let's take it on the other side. Newt very deliberately generated tribalism. It wasn't just a political polarization, different ideological viewpoints. It was trying to turn this into a situation where people could view Democrats as evil, trying to destroy their way of life, and really using uh, a process where he would shatter all of the norms of behavior that we had seen around Congress uh, to uh, achieve that goal. And it took him 16 years, but uh, he was able to do that. And, of course, he was helped along the way by a few other things. 
the end of the fairness doctrine in the uh, 1987 in uh, uh, the uh, Reagan administration made it possible for the rise of tribal media, which was uh, an accelerant of what Newt was doing. When uh, Tom Mann and I did a book in 2006 called The Broken Branch, and it was that Newt's successor, Dennis Hastert, accelerated the process of blowing up the norms that the ends justified the means with almost everything that happened. Then uh, Mitch McConnell uh, came in and decided that norms no longer mattered in the Senate. And all of this reinforced by changes in the broader society. And frankly, what Newt did was to move to turn the Republican Party away from a traditional political party looking to solve problems through the regular order in Congress and turned it into a cult uh, where uh, if you were a part of this process, the fear of being shunned or excommunicated would overwhelm your reluctance to violate more norms uh, and that working with Democrats was like sleeping with the enemy with the evil uh, apostates. And all of that has taken us to where we are today. Let me drill down on that language, because, Steve, I remember reading in your book about a memo that Gingrich sent around to Republicans, basically uh, outlining the language that they should use in describing their Democratic colleagues or Democratic opponents if they were running again for office. Explain that. Well, yeah, again, it's all about the language of, of drawing dramatic, vivid contrast that really tap into some, I think, some deep emotions. Um, I think that was the idea. You know, he, he talked about the, the big, broad contrast that Gingrich wanted to create between the parties was the Democrats as the party of a liberal welfare state, the Republicans as a party of a conservative opportunity society. Um, but it was the idea of using very dramatic, very uh, emotionally resonant language that would really drive home the contrast that Gingrich was trying to create between what he thought the Republican Party should represent to people and what he wanted people to see in the Democratic Party and just convincing uh, you know, his fellow Republican members of Congress that they needed to take every opportunity they had, every speech, every committee hearing, every appearance on television, whatever it was, to drive that contrast above all else. And that is what we're living through right now. And that is the reason compromise is next to impossible. In fact, what we got now is worse than even under Gingrich. We got an insurrection. We got a coup. We got a whole bunch of people who attempted to overthrow the government. A seditious act. So therefore, if we are to make progress under the Biden administration, we are going to have to soon move to eliminate the filibuster so that we can show that show the people that government works that government is really uh, an institution that can that not can but but that must provide a positive and will provide a positive if it if it functions without obstruction and therefore that is exactly what we have to do going forward eliminate the filibuster because you cannot have an institution where you have to attempt to have a compromise with a cult that's based not on human values, not on morality, but on just what they want for a very select few of their constituents. You know, we talk a whole lot about us taking the bull by the horns. We are the ones who have to take our future in our hands. Concerned citizens, whoever you are, whatever strata you are in life, you have to take control. That's the way we, you know, when you hear people talk about, I'm going to take my government back. Yeah, we are. But the right people have to do it with the right motives. I'm here today. I'm honored to have Rosalind Wyatt, PhD. She is a seasoned researcher, strategist, and consultant who focuses on the return of investment of pursuing green and sustainable business projects and practices. That's right to my heart. Welcome aboard Politics Done Right, Rosalind. Hello, how are you? We are doing fine. Rosalind, um, we are talking, uh, we're not talking about anything specific to your field today. We're talking something specific to the politics of everybody voting. And you came across something, you sent it to me and said, hey, you need to look into this, to which I said, 
oh, I think you need to tell us about what's going on. So Rosin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened? Well, over the weekend, I received uh, a notification from a very good friend of mine. Uh, I think she is a deputy uh, voters registrar mm-hmm. uh, for her county. And she sent me this thing saying, hey, send this to all the people who do voters registration, the deputies. And it was a petition uh, that uh, called for the, uh, you know, of not passing Texas House Bill 1026, which was just introduced. Uh, I think it was even introduced before the formal session even began. And it has to do with taking away the power and authority to register voters from the county and the county clerk's office and transferring all that power to the Texas Secretary of State. And this was circulated among those specific, you know, deputy registrars uh, because it would take away their ability to register, you know, their fellow citizens to vote. But, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'm not a deputy registrar, but this is a pretty serious matter. So I went and actually read the bill and I was quite alarmed by some of the things that I saw. And that's when I started telling people, I started, you know, just like sounding the alarm. And then I thought, hey, I'm going to contact Egberto because this is what he does every day uh, on KPFT. So that's how I contacted you. Let me, let me ask, say something, first of all. I mean, this is how uh, we get hurt many times. And when I say we, I mean the population at large. The fact of the matter is, Rosalind, that a lot of these things happen behind quiet doors. And after, when, when it's time to vote, that's when we find out about it. Or when we're starting to register people to vote, we find out all the restrictions that's been placed on us because nobody knows about it. And that's why it is so important what, you know, what you're doing and what others are doing to get that information out there so that people can now, every single Texan, and by the way, this applies not only in Texas, these are things that are going to be occurring in Georgia, these are things that are going to be occurring in Arizona, these are things that are going to be occurring throughout the country because of what occurred in this election. They want to reduce the number of people voting for ulterior motives. Please continue, um, Rosalind. Um, Yes. So as I said, I was uh, quite alarmed and I took the time to read through it, uh, read through the bill carefully, as carefully as I could and understand all the, you know, the legal uh, ramifications. Yeah. Ramifications of it. Uh, So I put other people on it. Um, I have a a few uh, lawyer friends and I've got them looking into it, um, you know, to kind of go through it with more of a fine tooth comb than I can. Uh, So that's how that all got started. And, um, you know, you know, the whole idea is um, when you live in a democracy and you participate, you know, one of the most uh, fundamental things you have is your vote. You know, that's what democracy means. One person, one vote. And when you impede people from, you know, taking part in that, you are attacking the very heart of democracy, in my opinion. So that's why I became, you know, so alarmed. And in, in reading through the bill, you know, kind of taking some time to read through the bill, there were a number of things that were very disturbing to me. Um, you know, you talked about how these things are done very quietly. Well, the one thing that I noticed upon looking at, you know, the bill, the introduction, um, was that it was introduced um, I guess even before the formal session started, um, because the date on the you know the introduction of the bill is before you know the actual session convened, and I, I was <clears throat> concerned about that or, or you know kind of puzzled by that. And any of your listeners, <clears throat> viewers can uh, you know they might have some insight on that. Um, the other thing is, <clears throat> I noticed that it was not co-sponsored, right? It had, you know, one person introduced it. <clears throat> there was no co-sponsors, at least at this time, you know, nobody has signed on, you know, to be a part of that. So that was interesting to me. Um, it doesn't actually have a, a real title, you know, in terms of, you know, these bills having these titles. I didn't see that. 
Um, but the thing that immediately caught my attention is that it seeks to strip the authority slash responsibility of voters registration from the county clerk to the Secretary of State's office in Austin. So in effect, the Secretary of State becomes the voter registrar. For the entire very large state. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. 39 million plus people in Texas. That's what it seems to say to me. Now, like I said, actually, I, was, I read it. That's what it says. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, so that's the first thing. And, and, you know, with that, you stop and think about, okay, 39 million people, uh, you know, one office becomes the voter registrar. Now let's talk about the bureaucracy that creates. Uh, so with that bureaucracy comes um, increased cost, right? Because, you know, you, you got to, the Secretary of State's office has a lot of responsibilities. Let me just correct one thing before, before I forget. We keep saying 39 million uh, Texans. Mm -hmm. It's actually 29 million Texans. I'm sorry. It's... Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that's still a lot of people. Yeah. It's, that's my uh, fault. I'm the one who said it. <laughs> uh and the thing of it is, is that the Secretary of State's office has a lot of responsibility already, right? So now you're just adding to that bureaucracy. Um, so also, so some notable things as I go through, uh, it says the Secretary of State in Austin shall review each submitted application to see if the applicant is eligible for registration. Okay, and I already said a red flag was it increases uh, bureaucracy and subsequently costs. And the other thing I thought about were the delays. Right. How does this delay people getting registered to vote? Okay, so, you know, so put a pin in that. Uh, next, the Secretary of State will make a determination no later than seven days after the application is submitted. Does that mean after it's received or after it's postmarked, if you mail it in? You know, what does that actually mean? What is, you know, and how many additional days, you know, or time does that add? Uh, it says also, uh, after the approval of the applicant, uh, you know, if they're registered in another county, then the Secretary of State will update the statewide list to reflect their updated residence. So, so how much lag will there be? How much lag in time will that be? So if a person moves, and the statewide record hasn't been updated and they go and vote in their new uh, county if they attempt to, uh, could they be charged with voter fraud if something goes wrong? If they're, if they're not shown to be a resident of that county? I mean, if know, I may pause you a while, um, if I may pause you a while, Rosalind, this, first of all, we are trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist and the solution creates more problems in yeah. that you have just yourself identified in other words it will now put people at risk of committing voter fraud if the state does not do its job appropriately quote unquote i should say quote unquote voter fraud because it's not like the person is going to vote twice it's just that they'll likely vote in the wrong county right so does that what does that do does that nullify their vote likely it does yeah and so and, and, you know, and, and like I said, it could be done completely innocently, right? 
but you know, people make charges and then, it, and, it, and it may not amount to anything, but it's just a hassle to have to defend yourself and right these wrongs, right? So that's just an additional thing. Um, the other thing that was um, very troubling is the determination of citizenship. Now, I know you probably read that part. Uh, so that's left up to DPS, mm -hmm. Department of Public Safety. They're the ones who determine citizenship. Uh, if they can't, you know, identify you as a citizen, you'll be notified. Okay, so how long will that take? You know, how long will it take, for, you know, for you to be notified that, that that's a problem? And once that happens, you have 60 days to respond to that. And here's the most troubling thing. That proof must be provided in person. So does that mean that you have to go all the way to Austin to, you know, to show proof, you know, like a valid passport? Or, and they mentioned this in the documents, a certified copy of your birth certificate. First of all, getting a certified copy of your birth certificate is a hassle. I've done that before. So in order, you know, I could mail it off. Okay, it's going to take this much time. I wanted it done quickly. So I actually went to the county of my birth. I actually took the time. Well, people don't have that luxury like I had. Or the money. Or the money. And that's what I mean by luxury. It's a poll tax. Yeah, it's, that's what I mean by luxury. It's it's the money to travel there, the time, you know, uh, the 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 inconvenience. If you want it done immediately, now you can mail it and do all that stuff, but it's just going to add um, to the time to get a certified copy of your birth certificate. Also, um, you know, um, another noticeable change that I saw was uh, in Section Five of uh, this bill. Uh, registration becomes effective on the 30th day after the application is approved by the Secretary of State. Now that's changed and it's clearly scratched out on the bill. It's changed from after it's submitted to the registrar. Right. So registrar becomes scratched out Secretary of State. It's after it's approved by, by the Secretary not submitted to the registrar. So now you're adding a whole nother. And, and it adds 30 days because yes. after it's approved, you have 30 days. I mean, it's 30 days before it becomes effective. So an, another thing that I saw that was interesting was it said, well, the secretary of state can transfer this responsibility back to the county, you know, as you know, at will, basically. Right. So which counties get to have that function transferred back to them? You know which counties that would be. Is it, is it Harris County? No, Harris won't get it. Tyrant won't get it. Uh, Travis won't get it. Williamson may get it. Dallas won't get it. We know what counties will get it. I'm just, you know, I'm just pointing these things out. I, you know, well, like, you know, it. it Rosalind, what, what you're pointing out is important. And there's, there are some other things in the bill uh, that I, I don't know if you, uh, if you covered, I don't think you covered yet. And that is within that bill. Also, there were a lot of sections within the old bill that were repealed. Things like no more voter registrars, things like no more temporary buildings where you can do registrations. All those things have been, they haven't been rewritten. They have been repealed. Removed. 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 Yes. And I was, I was going to get to that. Please um, do. That, but I'm that's sorry, a, please do. No, 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 no. That's an excellent segue because, um, you know, uh, there are organizations. Uh, I, I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta and, you know, we take that on. We have deputy registrars and we take on that responsibility. Um, you know, my chapter as other chapters do as other organizations of, of the Greek letter, all these organizations, churches, all these people uh, have voter registration um, drives and everything at their, you know, facilities. Mm -hmm. At my church, we have done that uh, before because we have people who are able to do that. It makes it easy for people to register to vote and exercise their rights as citizens. Exactly. We have, um, in, like I said, in my sorority, in my chapter, we have actually taken voters registration tables to citizenship offices. So as soon as people are sworn in as United States citizens, they come to the table and they register to vote right then as one of the very first acts of obtaining citizenship. 
So what happens then? What happens to those people? They don't, they don't have, you know, what are- It doesn't happen because you don't have voter registrars anymore, as well as you can't set up temporary facilities to register. So it is a, a very, very concerning thing. And I, what I would like to happen is for people to contact their representatives and, you know, and really, um, you know, press them on these, you know, these issues that we have raised. Um, it's, it's extremely important because here's the thing, I, I thought about this, you know, not just in terms of, you know, voters who look like me uh, or, you know, or who speak a different language or whatever. I thought about this in terms of new people moving to the state of Texas. You know, you have new people moving here and, and, you know, and wherever they're coming from, you know, they have to go through the trouble of establishing all of this, you know, potentially getting birth certificates and, you know, all of these things just to do the simple thing of voting. So it is a, a problem um, and it's an issue we need to really, really focus on and contact our representatives uh, about immediately. Look, I really appreciate your words, um, Rosin. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a tad bit upset with you, however. And the <laughs> reason I'm a tad bit upset is you are too calm in the way you say these things concern you. These mm -hmm. things shouldn't just concern you. These <laughs> things should make us all mad. Right. Because this is, I mean, uh, we fought too hard. Too many of us have fought too hard to allow some folks of this type to be able to come here and, 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 and try to take away not what we've earned, but what is rightfully ours. Every single American citizen, irrespective of hue, irrespective of everything else. Well, Egberto, don't let this calm demeanor and this, you know, this perpetually bright smile, you know, don't let that mislead you. Uh, what I wanted to do is, is, you know, as we talked about is I wanted to make sure that people heard the information, you know, um, and, and, you know, it, and, and develop a, what's what I like to call a righteous anger, right? Right. right. Uh, so, like I said, don't let this. I am this. just giving you a hard time, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Wyatt. I'm just giving you a hard time, but because this is a serious matter, and um, I I, I want to thank you first of all for bringing it to uh, my attention. You were the first one that brought it to my attention, uh, so I want to thank you so kindly for that. I think you're doing a hell of an important task, not only for Texans, but for America in general. Because again, like I said, what's happening here in Texas, I can guarantee you is happening in Arizona. It's happening in Georgia. It's happening in all these states that think as uh, specifically as red states that they own a certain percentage of the votes and anything beyond that they don't want. So I think what you're doing is an important test. So I always ask a question before I close out. And that is, is there something you wish I had asked you that I didn't? Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I want to say uh, is that I want people to contact um, their representatives. Um, if you, uh, there's a site called Who Represents Me. Uh, if you Google that, you will find, you know, once you enter your address, uh, you'll find out um, who your state senator is, who your state rep is, and of course, who your uh, congressional rep is. And, you know, you'll see the other stuff too. Um, but please, please do that. Um, who represents me? Go to that site, you know, and then start emailing and calling these individuals. Um, and listen, it, you know, this is for everybody's rights, right? I know what it's designed to do. I know what this is designed to do. I know this, who this is designed to impact. Well, you can, this is politics done right, Rosalind, say it. Yeah, well, it's designed to impact uh, and, and suppress uh, black and brown voters. Uh, that's, that's what it's done, you know, and people will say, no, well, it's done to protect the integrity of the vote. Well, okay, well, you know, okay, but, Here's what I will say. This is about everybody's right to vote. Everybody's. Because, you know, like I said, there are, like, there are other people who are moving to the state who don't look like me, 
you know, this will impact you as well. You know, so this is why it's important for everyone. And, you know, I thank you. Remember I said, go to who represents me and contact those people, people, uh, your elected officials respond to those type of uh, inquiries, phone calls, emails, and, you know, and other type of uh, inquiries. So, you know, Egberto, I want to thank you. Um, and, and other people, like I said, other people read the bill, you know, read, read, actually go through and read the bill. You know, those of you who are in the legal community or who really understand election and voter laws, please read it and go through it with a fine tooth comb. Dr. Rosalind Wyatt, it's been my pleasure to have you here, a concerned citizen, a strategist, a researcher. Uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Peace to you, Egberto. Are you feeling badly about the insurrection, about this unpatriotic, seditious insurrection? We should. But you know, out of bad can come a whole lot of good. And somebody expressed it in a manner I hadn't heard before. And, you know, I want you to listen to that and then let's go ahead and take it on the other side. Check this out. Anand Girdadas writes, this is not the chaos of the beginning of something. This is the chaos of the end of something. It's not the engine of history. It's the revolt against the engine of history. We are living through a revolt against the future the future will prevail. And joining us now is Anand Girdadas, MSNBC political analyst and publisher of the Inc. newsletter. Anand, what are the signs that the future will prevail? Well, the trajectory, this is Martin Luther King's birthday, and he spoke of that arc bending. And the arc is bending, has been bending, has continued to bend, and it's very easy to lose sight of that fundamental through line and that fundamental narrative in American life, given what has happened, right? I mean, we have last week was insurrection week. This week was impeachment week. Next week's inauguration week. We never got infrastructure week. And it's dark. It's very, very dark. But I think if you look at so much of this darkness, it is not the darkness of the beginning of something. This is not a launch party that you're seeing on the other side of the screen. This is a funeral for something. It is a funeral for white supremacy. It is a funeral for a kind of outdated, outmoded male power. It is a, a mourning um, for a time in which certain Americans could feel and claim to be the default of an American and not have to share. And what we have witnessed in this era, alongside the depredations of Donald Trump, is another story, too, a, a longer story. This was also this past year that just ended, the year of extraordinary protests on the street for Black Lives Matter that also corresponded with extraordinary shifts in mainstream white opinion about racism. This was also the year gone by in which white people were in the reading they were doing and what was happening in their workplaces and beyond, grappling with race in ways that were unthinkable 5, 10, 15 years ago. And so I have been trying as a practice, because I'm as despairing as everybody else right now, to remember that what we are witnessing in so many of these dark days is backlash. Backlash. It's not the engine of history. It's a backlash against the engine of history. These people that you're seeing are not the future, they are the barnacles on the future that is going to happen with or without them. And what I try to remember is that what we are actually heading towards, and allow me to get a little patriotic for a moment, but I think this is a patriotism that is factual and justified. We, what we are trying to do in the United States of America is actually build a kind of country that has not existed in quite this form perhaps ever in history, which is to build a majority-minority, democratic, multiracial superpower that looks like the world, that is a country made of all the countries. And we're actually getting there. And these people are terrified of a future in which they have to share. But that future, day by day, hour by hour, workplace by workplace, school by school, that 
future, that looming future, is, I believe, the dominant story of America. He hits that on the nail, the dominant story of America. And when we think about it, right, these are, I don't know if you saw these people on the mall. Yes, they were living in their own reality. But the one thing you could see out of all of them, how scared they were. So what Donald Trump and his minions did is they filled a void. They filled that scary void that these people are feeling. Unjustly, they are feeling that. Uh, There's no reason for them to feel that somehow the country is getting away from them because they don't have that birthright that they never really had, but that someone told them maybe should have been theirs that someone else took. Never there. So I think Anand is absolutely right. But more importantly, we see that door that he sees now. We need to get over this hump. We need to make sure that we neutralize those that are starting this sort of an insurrection, if you will. And once we do that, we can actually get to the people. Like I said, we can get to the people, not to the fringe created by Donald Trump and his minions. We are here with Atiba Madian. Uh, he is going to discuss quite a bit. We have, we're going to talk about that uh, thing that happened on Wednesday. And then he has some other stuff to tell you. Welcome aboard, Atiba. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing fine. I think, however, I need to tell people who you are. So Atiba Madian is a political analyst, author, and former deputy executive director of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. Madian is one of the Democratic strategists who helped Senator-elect Reverend Rafael Warnock of Georgia. He's a Washington insider and president of Party Politics U.S. He has been featured and seen in The Hill, Financial Times, and Boston Globe. My friend, I am honored to have you on the show. I know you have a whole lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and start about that ruckus that we had on Wednesday. And I don't call it a ruckus. I call it exactly what it is. The attempt, I'm from Central America. It is the, that is what we see in what most Americans call banana republics. That's what we see down there. It had the exact view, no difference. Your thoughts on that? Listen, when I was a kid, first off, thank you for having me. And uh, I just want to say, when I was a child, I had opportunity to live overseas. My father's job took us to live in Bamako, Mali for two years. And I'll never forget, we left in May of 1983. And in June 1983, there was a coup or an attempted coup. And I cannot help but think that what we just saw happen last Wednesday was an attempted coup. You mentioned about Banana Republic. We saw an insurrection. We saw a bunch of people get together who normally we might see something happen in another country. And we're like, who are those crazies? Well, the crazies were right here. And, um, you know, this whole idea of patriotism, that is traitors. These were traitors that we saw. Traitors who are upset because of the outcome of an, of an election. But I think that we also have to get to the crux. And we aren't talking enough about what was it, because we keep wanting to say that Trump was the beginning of this. I think we really have to look deeper in terms of further past racism. Is it racism? Yes. Is there sexism? Yes. Um, is there elitism? Yes. We got to get deeper to this because I think that the 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 corrupt things that we keep seeing, their root of it is always money and, and not being able to access money or opportunity. And we, we've got to talk about this, I think, in a in a in a in a larger sense. Now Atiba, before we even get there, I want to I want to make our audience aware of something because a lot of a lot of folks see some of the stuff the initial thing that they see on TV and they just see a whole rowdy bunch of people attacking a you know breaking a few glass glasses, et cetera, at the, um, at the Capitol. But I want the people to understand that we had people's lives really at risk. We had pipe bombs. We had Molotov cocktails. We had all these things that were, we had people that had ties to uh, kidnap. We, we had all these things that would be present in a coup. And it just happened to be that it was poorly 
prepared. They were poorly prepared. They got overwhelmed and they didn't get their job done. But I think it is important for people to understand that the coup attempt was real. Um, now, let you, you you pointed out earlier. I have one other thing. Go ahead. They also had a biological weapon available. Oh, that's new to me. Please enlighten me. COVID. Oh, oh. My friend, that is so true. Uh, expl explain that for those who are going to be hard to, to take that. Let them Listen, they're, they're saying that there were 8,000 people. We know that this virus that has plagued us is it's, 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 it's rampant throughout our society. We've got almost 400,000 people dead from, you know, my uncle has been in the hospital with COVID, 93 years old. His daughter is now in the hospital because she went to go care for her father because a caregiver came to their home with a cold, thinking they just had a cold, and it turned out to be COVID. So now imagine 8,000 people descending on the Capitol, many of them not wearing masks, though we know that there is a mask mandate in DC. Many of them not um, uh, social distancing because they were all clamoring right. all together. And then we see now that there are several congressional members, um, including a 75-year-old uh, congressional woman who is a breast cancer uh, thriver, survivor. So these people came into the Capitol, they possibly spread a virus amongst themselves, let alone also to congressional members. And now it's also getting to us that these congressional members that were in a room, close quarters who declined to wear a mask because they are like, let's not get political about this, actually did not wanna wear masks Potentially because should someone, these insurrectionists, these people attempting a coup had come into the room, they would have known that, oh, they're with us because they're not wearing a mask. It is crazy. I blogged about that one. Yeah, you're talking about Bonnie Watson Coleman. She's the one who got infected. And then there's Jayapal, Pramila Jayapal from Washington. She got infected, she's same room. And a couple of other uh, Congress people got infected because of all these folks not wearing masks. And uh, so, so that is interesting. I want to remind folks, you know, people think that uh, we are so exceptional, right? These, these things don't happen here. They, they need to remember that back in 1933, on, they also tried a coup against uh, Franklin Roosevelt. So, I mean, it is, it is one thing to kind of think these things don't happen here. But as you mentioned earlier in your statement, um, uh, Atiba, you mentioned that a lot of this has to do with money. A lot of this happened to do with certain folks with money making investment to ensure that what they are doing remains preeminent. So uh, I think that is important for people to understand. Uh, you, I blogged about that this morning. Folks can look it up at egbertowillis.com. Anyhow, um, what do you think is going to be the aftermath of uh, this in, in, um, insurrection? You know, for four years, every day I pick up the phone, wary to figure out, okay, what has the idiot done? And so I, I, whenever I do these interviews, people keep asking me, what do I think is gonna happen? The problem has been, it's been difficult to chart what is going to happen next. What well, we do know, and, and you, your listeners um, already know, there are credible threats on, on our state capitals. What a lot of people don't know is that there were attacks on those very state capitals on January 6th too. Everyone's attention was focused on the US Capitol, but there were um, uh, attacks on Michigan. Michigan was Georgia, Utah, and other state um, legislatures around the country. This thing is real, but yet at the same time, the democracy is still intact and it will still remain intact. What we were looking to see is what's going to happen on January 20th because we have a transfer of power. We don't know what uh, Trump is going to do within the next six days. But what we can do is we can remain vigilant. We can um, make sure, you know, the, you see those signs at the airport or when you're traveling that says, if you see something, say something. You know, if there have been a lot of people that have been turning in people who were, who they recognize faces, including people saying that that was their, you know, uncle, et cetera. So there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of things that we don't know, but there are a lot of things that I think that we have to um, keep focused on, and I'll say, say this last, Congressman John Lewis, and we had his um, chief of staff, former chief of staff on our podcast last night, Chalkboard Conversations, but 
he wrote in my book in 20 years ago, with faith and hope, keep your eyes on the prize. And I'll be honest, as a 28-year-old young man at the time, I had, did not quite grasp exactly what he meant. But over the course of last year, working on the election, working to see where we got to in January um, 5th, the day before the insurrection, the attempted coup, I have come to, to understand that it is important for us to keep our faith, keep up the hope, and keep your eyes on the prize. What is the prize? We want to end racism. We want to end sexism. We want to end all these things, but we cannot do that if we continue to allow ourselves to be distracted by those who, who are trying to hold this country back from moving forward. But we're getting there, and, and, and what happens in the dark comes out in the light. What happened on January 6th is come out in the light. We know what, what, what our opposition is now. We now have to go after it and fight it. Now, there's something that, that was evident. Most or, or the majority Amer the, the majority American population, when they saw the uh, when they saw what was occurring, they immediately saw, oh my God, there's something they're attacking the the Congress, the Capitol. What folks like me saw. I looked at that and I said, how did they get there? How come some of these cops are opening the gates? How comes these cops are being so friendly? Didn't I remember during the BLM protest in DC that there were guards in the streets and they were met with, with uh, explosives and uh, whatever, uh, shock explosives, etc. Of course I remembered that. America got to see themselves doing wrong and how the police reacted to them versus BLM. What are your thoughts on that? What was your first instinct when you saw it? Hmm. That, that brings up a lot of different things. Um, so please let, thing, let it fly, please. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about it. The first thing is. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket. Same thing that I started off every call last week with... Um, clients and most of the clients that I report to are white and I said yesterday was a travesty it was a shame to watch but you know that if and they all finished my sentence all to a T a T but we know if they had been black this would not have happened so I think a lot of things are coming out and it's easier for people to say the very things that we have been saying for instance when Black Lives Matter protesters when all that was going on last year, I got in my car and I drove around that night through Georgetown in Washington, D.C. You know, that's where a lot of our stores are. That's where high end or higher end stores. It's where the, the river is. It's very, you know, nice area. And I am not lying to you. I saw police officers not making themselves present. They were as if they were hiding out, waiting for someone to come, young black man, as was my assumption, to pounce on them. What we also saw in the city was buildings boarded up, storefronts boarded up, National Guardsmen in the city. This was before people got to the city. January 6th, they knew that there was going to be people coming to the White House. Lafayette Park, which has been closed throughout most of Trump's presidency, was all of a sudden opened up. 
They had closed it up because they didn't want homeless people there. They didn't want any credible threats. They were the threat and they did not feel threatened, so they opened it up. So we see the difference in the contrast. This is not just about black and white. It's not just about racism. It's about something that's really ugly at the core of who I keep hearing the president-elect say, this is not America. I hear congressional members saying, this is not America. This is America. This is the America that the slave, this is the America that women, this is the America that immigrants, this is the America we have talked to you about. That these mobs that destroyed Tulsa, that destroyed uh, 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 cities all around the country, Rosewood, um, Chicago, through riots, it's one thing when it's them with their pipe bombs, with their sticks, with their guns. It's another thing when it's just us with a mask, just begging for equality. Stop killing me. Right. Stop killing my son. Stop killing me. Stop banging open my door where in, in my home and shooting and killing me. Stop putting your knee on my neck. That's what this is. So now the rest of the world sees it. The now rest it, of the world sees what we've been saying. Now it is interesting because I, on, on my program yesterday, I, made, I gave folks an example. I said, when I walk into a store, there are people following me. When a white person work, walk into the store, a lot of times they get a pass, nobody really cares. I said, that, is, that, is a, that points to something important you don't realize. The reason profiling never works is that person who is not profiled understand that they are the ones who can do the crime. And if you ever doubt that, go take a look at all those people that get, go, go to court, get a good lawyer as a person of color, where you are able to go to the section that gives probation and look at the people in that section compared to the people who will be head in the jails who've done the same crime. And you'd learn exactly what America is. Yeah. Profiling doesn't work. And profiling is exactly what happened, again, for this insurrection. They profile those people that were coming from around the world, either of one things, that they weren't going to be causing enough problems or that they really wanted them to be successful in the particular problem that they were going to cause. Your thoughts? It's true. It's true. Well, it's up to us to keep telling our story and not wait for someone else to tell it. Like often I hear people, well, they don't talk about this. Well, you talk about it. Make America Great Again became this slogan. It became a slogan because someone kept saying it over and over and over again. Misinformation became the norm because someone kept giving it over and over and over again. So it's up to us to tell the truth. And I think part of that truth is to say, they ain't never been for you. You came to Washington. You came up and you're angry at the wrong people. The people that you need to be angry with are the very people that got you all riled up. And they got you riled up so much because they've been lying to you. They keep promising you about this dream. Well, let us tell you about the dream deferred. They keep telling you that, you know, they're the nightmare. Pointing to us. When the, uh, the nightmare is the people that keep riling you up. It's no different, honestly, Hopefully I can do a good comparison of the white citizen councils in the South and the KKK. The white citizen council, those were the ones who had the money. The KKK, those were the ones who were, you know, the sheriffs, the police chiefs, et cetera. The white citizen council, they didn't necessarily have to wear a hood because they were hiding behind their money. They were the ones who were rallying up the KKK and the sheets to go out and do their damage, to be the mob. That's what you saw happen, in my opinion, on January 6th. The White Citizen Council, Trump, came out, riled up the masses. Giuliani riled up the masses and the other ones who got on the stage. But the KKK decided we're not going to wear our hoods anymore. We're not even going to wear our masks because that's a political statement. We want you to see us. Thank you, because now your picture and your faces are everywhere. You and can't that, even get on a plane in some cases. That is what's so funny. They're not all that smart. Because now the same person who sent them all out 
is getting them all arrested, is getting them, they're all getting records, and their lives are forever changed. Now, let me, uh, we're kind of getting close to in this thing. So let's talk a little bit about uh, party politics. So tell me a little bit about what you do, and then tell me a little bit about your book. Sure. So party politics was the idea that was, was started hanging out with some friends in 20, 2009, 2010, not too long after Obama was president, because we had this tea party. So you want to talk about insurrection, you had an insurrection within the Republican Party of the Tea Party. And it became this thing where the parties weren't talking to each other. It was a bigger split between the Republicans and the Democrats, even though that was going on way before, um, thanks to Newt Gingrich and some others. And the idea was, how do you bring people together from different sides, whether that it was religious, sexual orientation, national origin, together? And the way that you see behind me, it says party politics. It was, how do you put the party before the politics. So how do you make it fun, attract people together to have these conversations? And um, the party is, is a play on words. You know, people often think of party politics as being divisive. It was, how do we make party politics become inclusive? So I'll just give you an example. Back in February 26th of 2020, before everything got shut down, um, thanks to um, Coca-Cola, we hosted an event at L2 Lounge in, in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., a very nice, beautiful, posh place. We invited people. We had Joe Claire, who's a radio personality, to host it. And we showed a movie by a uh, film director, amazing film, um, uh, Mignote Kabibi, who wrote, did a film called What Happened to Chocolate City? And it talks about gentrification. We had a really diverse audience. We had other partners that helped us to invite people. We had probably about... 250 people we were able to give, thanks to Coca-Cola, we had drinks and food for everyone. So we had the party. And then we showed this film, which is two hours and no one wanted to leave because the film is that good. And we talked about gentrification afterwards. And to be honest with you, we were going until 10, 11 o'clock and the conversation was so good. And we had some of the people that she interviewed for that film there, including a, a woman, a young lady who's now older, but was 14 years old when she felt when she was filming this and it was just it was a phenomenal event and it really just spoke to the idea that you can make things fun and bring people together to have di difficult conversations and people might not always agree but if they come together and they have that food on their stomach maybe a little bit of drink too they're a little <laughs> bit calmer and the conversations go a little bit more gentler and people end up finding that they have more in common than they than, than different that is a great organization. Uh, we'll put that in the link as well after we um, air your show. And tell me about your book. So I wrote a book called, it's called Saving Grace. And the main character's name is Anthony Grace. And the book is um, based here in DC and it covers politics. It has some romance and some DC history in it. And the idea too is going back to that idea, make it fun. So the feedback that I'm getting from people, from friends now are, um, when is this going to be a movie? Uh, you know, I've wrote it, but I'm going to tell you it's well-written story. Um, and it's taken a lot of the experiences that I've seen over the years working in politics, blended it into a story about an environmental attorney who's been kidnapped. And the story starts off with him not knowing why he's been kidnapped. He's been hit so many times. And as he regains his memory, the reader learns who he is and that this is all attached to a rising political star. Excellent. Well, El Señor Atiba Magian, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right, but I usually ask one last question before I go, and it goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it always stumps a few. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's because kind of, you asked some really great questions. Um, maybe ask me what I think... Um, should the inauguration be inside or outside? Go for it. I think it should be inside. And I actually think it should be at an undisclosed location. I think that the transfer of power and that what's going on right now is too important and too significant to try to um, be arrogant and say, oh, we're going to show um, the example of our power by standing in your face and doing such and such. Regardless of where President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris are when they take that oath of office, they are going to be, he's going to be the 46th president of the United States. And I would like to see that happen in the safest manner. 
um, that is also protecting our former heads of state and the congressional members who will be in attendance to witness uh, the transfer of power in this country. Because unfortunately, we cannot say this is a peaceful transfer. What happened on January 6th is more than evident that this is not a peaceful transfer. Ative Madian, Washington insider and president of Party Politics US. He has been featured on uh, at The Hill, Financial Times, and Boston Globe. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you for having me. I hope you like that. Thank you so kindly for being here at KPFT. Please remember to give us a call at 713-526-5738, 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org and give us a contribution in the name of Politics and Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelts save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.